This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's podcast. I'm always listening to suggestions for the show, and one of the biggest ones has been to try to incorporate video. How could I, you know, video these podcasts so people could watch them rather than just listening to them? And I am a big audio podcast listener. I like to listen to podcasts when I drive. I'm not much on watching them on YouTube, but some people are. And I do see the draw to wanting to see what the guest looks like, the facial, the facial uh, recognition, the the um, the posture, everything about you know what's going on when someone's telling their story. That is very very important. So I'm listening and I'm trying. And today's episode is the first one that I have been able to really incorporate video and be able to get it out at the same time that the audio podcast is going out. So if you're listening to this on audio and you've always wanted to see what it would look like to to see one of these podcasts live or to see what the guest looks like, um, this is a good one. You can hop over to YouTube, Saltwater Experience YouTube channel, and you can see this one with Meredith McCord. It'll be the first one. We did this with Skype. So there's a video element on her end. There's a video element on my end. And uh, I think it turned out pretty good. If you like it, I'd love to know about it. You can hit me up, podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Tell me if you want more video or less video or if you really don't care. Um, Either way, a lot of people want to see it on YouTube and a lot of people want to listen to it. So I figure I'll offer it both ways. So if you're interested, Saltwater Experience YouTube channel, also on the website, tomrolandpodcast.com. All right, on to the show. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. I got a real treat for you. We're going to go over the myths about world records. And I've got someone here that knows a little bit about world records, over 180 world records. Meredith McCord has tons of them on flash. She's got some all tackles and she knows a lot about world records. There's a lot of myths like, do you have to kill the fish? What what do you have to do as far as leaders and knots? And she's going to go over all kinds of things and help us to understand what the process is about getting a world record. So Meredith, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm excited to talk a little bit about world records in the IGFA. Great. I would love to hear about world records. I've set a couple of world records myself, and then I've helped some others set some world records, but I'd am no expert. I, I just kind of got lucky a little bit, but it is very confusing. Even for somebody that, that knows a lot about fishing and knows a lot about guiding and understands the language and stuff like that, there's still very specific rules you have to follow to make sure that a world record uh, will be accepted and a very specific way you have to do it. And there's, uh, you know, a lot of myths out there. A lot of people are not interested in record hunting because they think certain things about world records. So I'd like to kind of, I know you have a presentation that you do and I'd love for you to go through it with us and kind of help to dispel those myths about world records and, and what it means to you really. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And Tom, like you, like when I first got into this, I have to be honest, I didn't even know world records for fish existed. <laughs> I didn't even know that the IGFA, which stands for the International Game Fish Association, even existed. So um, I, you know, I started at square one on all of this and had to learn sometimes the hard way. And when I say hard way, I've had a couple of records declined. And so um, I'd love to share that with you today. And, um, you know, I've got a very long, probably an hour and a half presentation about chasing records, but this is just a snippet today about myths that when I first started chasing them, Tom, I got a lot of pushback. Yeah. And so want to go through that with you today, kind of what people were saying and the myths about record chasing. Okay. But let me start with kind of what, who and what the IGFA is. First of all, um, the IGFA is an organization, a nonprofit organization set up. Its base is in Florida. Um, and it is, it's not just a record keeper. That's not all they do. They are really about conservation and education. And that's how I actually first heard about them was through their conservation efforts um, for all fisheries um, worldwide. It is not a U.S. organization. It is a it is an organization for the globe and all waters everywhere and all fish. And then also through education, not just children um, and then next generation, but for anglers everywhere. Just angling ethics is what they're all about. But when it does come to records, they do keep over 7,000 world records on file for over 1,300 different species, both in freshwater and saltwater, wow. both conventional and fly, which um, I think, do you have both? Do you have conventional I don't, I don't have a conventional record. I only have uh, fly records and I don't even have those anymore. They both, I, I think I set three and they've all been beaten. So and I don't have any of those and everything that, that I've done actually were fly records. Um, okay. I didn't see any soft records as you call them that, 
in the all tackle category or really in any line class that I thought were were doable. So we stuck to the fly and um, particularly women's fly, right? One of your competitors, actually. <laughs> Dottie, yes, yeah. she is. She is. Well, um, and so I, I do have fly is also my favorite. The majority of my records have come on fly. But when um, I do find a species that uh, seems to be kind of large um, or a, a fishery that has species of a certain kind that are very large, I will do both fly and conventional. I'll go back to my roots of uh, spinning gear. But, um, you know, they receive, IGFA receives over 700 applications a year. And I think that that's even growing as they've divided out male and female records. Um, it used to be that it was kind of, uh, you know, neutral, uh, uh, gender neutral, and it didn't matter if you were male or female submitting records, but uh, several years ago, they did split it on fresh. And even several years before that, they split it on saltwater species. So now there's a lot more opportunities for us women, not that the fish know the difference, but um, whether it's a male or female pulling on them, but I think it's fun and it's um, a fun challenge and a fun game to play. So, um, and then the last thing, and this is gets me into the very first myth, um, IGFA is proud to tell you that over 50% of their records are released alive. Now, with mine, and I have over 180 some odd at this point, a few still in the pending process, um, I've released over 95% of my records back into the wild to grow bigger again. So, and so I think. So what, before we move on from that, what are the rules as far as releasing a fish alive? I know you know, I haven't done many records in a long time, so I don't know if any of the rules have changed or not, but I know that you had to, you had to weigh the fish on dry ground. That was a big one. And then you needed to use a scale that was certified or you use a scale that you can get certified. I guess we're going to go over that, but are yes. there, what are the rules about releasing a fish? So releasing the fish, the the only rules are is that it's released alive. There's really, Tom, I'd love to go into more specific. It's not like Florida, where is if you pick up a fish out of the water, um, if it's more than 48 inches, sorry, if you pick up a tarpon that's over 48 inches, um, it's you need a kill tag. Um this IGFA deems it alive if you release it alive. Now you know, I think as an angler and I try to practice really good ethics, if the fish is struggling, you know, my goal when I say I'm going to release a fish alive is truly that it is kicking raring to go that I have not worn this fish out so much that it is close to death or will be quickly eaten by a predator. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense or if I answered your question. No, it does. Well. I was I was referring more, I think, to like, how do you weigh it? Do you measure it? Do you have to photograph it? How do you prove that you caught this fish? Yes. Yes. And that that is in part of my presentation. I think that would be a really good um, chapter two um, present, you know, podcast is to go through all of that, but it is. Let me go through it real quick. You you've got to have five different photos. Um to do you want me to go through that? I mean, I can. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's do. Okay. okay. Let me go through. Um. Let's go down there. What is required? 
Um, first and foremost, um, you have to fill out the application and have it notarized. Um, and that means that you're telling the truth about how uh, you went about catching this fish and what you caught it with. Then you also have to submit whether even if it's on fly rod or conventional, you have to uh, submit the leader for conventional. It's, it has changed a couple of times, but right now it's 15 feet from where your lure is 15 feet up. And that 15 feet has to be your class tippet. You have to have, um, not your class tippet, your, your line class. And that is the breaking strength. I'm kind of going all over the place here, Tom, um, <laughs> of your line. And so you have to submit that in and I can go through what a fly leader looks like, but you have to submit the entire fly leader. You cannot cut it at the fly line. You actually have to do a perfection loop or some kind of loop knot that you can thread your fly back through so that you can submit the entire leader and fly intact to the IGFA. In that leader, there has to be built in 15 inches of class tippet. And again, class tippet refers to the breaking strength the lowest breaking strength of that entire makeup of the leader as well. You have to submit five photos and in those five photos. So here's what the application looks like. Um, and that includes conventional nowadays. They're not making you include the lure, but with fly fishing, you do have, have to include the fly. So in that little picture right there, you can see a little clouser, um, and then you have to do five photos and I'll walk you through the five photos. Um, the first one is, um, length. So, oh, sorry, let's do the hero shot. Cause that's more the most fun one. Anyway, your hero shot must include the angler who caught the fish, the rod, the reel and the fish. So you can see in here, you don't have to have it really set apart, but you have to have what you caught the fish on included in the photo. Okay. Then you've got three links that you've got to show. First of all, you've got to show, as you can see from the diagram on the upper right-hand screen, is the, the X to the X, and that is to the fork of the tail, to the center of the tail. So from the nose of the fish down the lateral line to the fork, you've got to take that measurement, and then you've got to take the double X's, which is from the nose of the fish to the tip of the tail. And then you submit that photo and you can see those two here. Um, and then you've got to take the girth and that is the widest part of the fish in front of the dorsal fin. Um, and then, and then you've got to take a picture. The last thing is you've got to take a picture of the weight of the fish, um, in the scale. You want it close up enough that the IGFA can clearly read what your electric scale or your BOGA or your hanging scale shows. Now, this is going into one of the myths. One of the things that I got back a lot of feedback from when I started chasing records was, Meredith, how dare you put fish on BOGAs and hang them like that? Big fish should not be hung if you plan to release them. And they were right. And I made a lot of mistakes when I first got started. I really did, Tom. I, I hung a good number of fish. I didn't know any better. And so, and that's one of the things I'm really proud to talk about today is like education and things, podcasts like yours today, hopefully will educate others that you really can injure the vertebrae of a 
fish um, that you're planning on releasing if you hang it by its mouth. And so as you can see here in the photos is I'm now slinging or netting my fish and the IGFA fully allows you to do both of that, those things. And so you can weigh the fish in the net and then take the fish out and just weigh the net. And so then you take your total weight, subtract the net out, and then you get the fish's weight. And that's how you can deduct your fish fish's weight without having to hang it by its face um, or any of its other body parts, gills. So, or so do you need to take a picture of the fish in the net being weighed with that clearly defined and then another picture of just the net and how much that weighed? It is, you know, again, they don't, I think it's best if this is a first or second record that you're submitting, I think it's very wise to document as much as you can. The bare minimum is that it needs to be the scale, um, up close with the weight, the registered weight on it. But this is an honor policy. This is not, you know, it, it's just, and that's why they have a notary and that's why you write a whole story about how the catch went down, um, is that, you know, you shouldn't, way, you know, or put an anchor in the, in the net with your fish. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do, but yes, you, you know, I think ideally wow. it's great if you can show the fish hanging in the net. For a and world I, record, I'm thinking people might go to all kinds of extremes of putting an anchor in the bottom of the net and all kinds of things. But, uh, if you have those rules of the clearly defined rules, like you need to see the whole fish in the net, you need to see the weight all of those things, I'm sure that's going to cut down on a lot of that, you know, substantially. Yes. Yes. And it does not qualify that you have to show the whole fish in the net, but I will suggest that that's a wise thing to do. Okay. So now we have, don't hang the fish. You don't have to kill the fish. What are the, other, what are the, the other myths? Now, let me, let me kind of go back to the, you don't have to kill a fish. For certain species of fish, such as blue water, you are going to have to kill the fish. And this is why we're talking about, and as you can see on the screen right now, weighing a fish. One of the rules of IGFA is that you must weigh a fish on ground or something that is grounded. So if you're out in the ocean and you are near an oil rig and it is anchored to the ocean floor, that counts as ground. Or if you are on a flats, like some sand flats, and you can stand and hold your fish above you and in the net and get it out of the water high enough, that is, that is fine. But if you are blue water fishing and you are out deep, you have to come in. You are not able to weigh your fish out at sea. And the reason being is because the ocean is a constant, constantly moving, um, I don't know floor. And so therefore gravity is always working on your scale. So you need to be anchored to the ground itself in order to get a, a approximate weight to submit. Right. And I watched, uh, you know, Ralph Delph come in with all kinds of things. He rigged up his boat to where he had this incredibly large live well, and he brought in some massive sharks that he was able to release. He brought in permit, he brought in all kinds of things. And released them in this really custom live well that he had, uh, that he could keep these really big fish alive, even if they were coming in from, from offshore. So it doesn't really matter where they come from as long as they can be weighed, like you're saying on dry ground, and then they can be released right alive. That's 
correct. That's correct. And there's the man that holds more world records than anybody else. And actually the top female too, um, is Marty and Roberta, uh, Arostegui. And Marty has done the same thing. He has chased a lot of shark records and created a kind of a live aquarium, if you will, or a live well, um, on his, his boats. Um, so that he can just do that because he's a big proponent of releasing fish alive as well and not stressing them. Yeah, that's cool. So don't hang them. Don't kill them. What else we got? That's right. That's right. The other thing, and I'll go back here to my little, um, my little list. Where is it? Here we go. Is that, um, fight time. And Tom, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think what a lot of people automatically assume when they think world records is that you're going for huge, humongous fish on, you know, dental floss. And yes, there are light tippets such as two pound, four pound that might take a lot longer, but, um, I'm proud to say in all of my world records that my average fight time is less than, uh, six minutes. And it used to be under four minutes when I wasn't chasing a lot of the two and four, but even on the two pound and four pound records, my average fight time has been around 15 minutes for those fish. And that's not a long time. And so I just really want to kind of dispel that myth that it has to be 12 hours, 24 hours. Now on some of those pelagic species and those larger tarpon, Sure, you might have a lar- a longer fight time, but I have chosen not to do the pelagic species because I don't want to kill them, and I've chosen not to do those larger fish that are going to require twenty four hour fight time or something like that. That's just you know you can play the game um, and choose you know how you want to play it. Just the rules are set for the game. I gotcha. Okay, so what and- else do you have to do to get ready for a world record or dispel well- these myths? Yeah. The next myth is that you, especially if you guys are out there fishing and you come across something that is ginormous, like, and you know, you fished a lot for the species and you're like, this thing is something pretty incredible. Um, I would encourage you to jump on either the IGFA website or their mobile app, which I find is very useful and check what the speed, the, the records are the current records, know what you're fishing with. As far as if you have 15 pound line on your spinning rod or eight pound test on your fly rod, look it up, see what the current records are. And if you feel like you have maybe beat the current record, no, you don't have to have a certified scale in order to measure it. A lot of people are like, God, I really think I caught a record. And then I got, I released it got home and then looked it up and sure enough, it would have been a record, but I didn't think I could count it because I didn't have a certified scale. Most, if not, well, most scales will certify out after the fact. Now I say that loosely, bogas have really proven themselves. I mean, you have to keep it in good condition. I've been on a couple of guides boats that the the bogas are so old and rusty and sticky that they barely pull out. So you've got to have a good working order um, scale always on board with you. And um, Rapala is is another brand of electric scale that I like using because I like to get every ounce off of the fish. And as you know, with bogas, they only show depending on what size boga you have, they show either uh, fish by the half pound or by the quarter pound. And you do, if, if it's not exactly on a line, you do have to um, round down. They can't round up and okay. you can't get half of mark. So that's why I like electric scales the most. 
Okay. And you use the Rapala one? I do use the Rapala one, and that is seen right there on the right-hand side. So I use a lot of the BOGOs to the left. I always keep a BOGO as a backup in case my electric scale um, unfortunately gets dipped in the water. They're not waterproof, or um, I bring extra batteries with me for the scale, but in case something goes wrong and it just goes kaput on me, I always have a BOGO at hand. But like I said, I like to get every ounce for my record catches because okay. it could the difference of a, of a record or not a record. Right. How much do you have to beat a record by? 1%. Okay. 1%. So it needs to go up at least 1% of where it has been in the past. Um, I, you know, I personally like to always beat them by a little bit more than 1%. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. What else you got? Um, you know, I think the only other thing I'd love to visit with you about, and you understand this well, is that is um, the leaders that you have to build for. Let me see if I can find what I did with that leader. Nope. Okay. Uh, when you're chasing a, well, let me show you all this real quick. Sure. Now, as far as the leader goes, before okay. we get into that, the IGFA, IGFA does not specify what type of knot you use they just specify the length between knots so you're at the you have the freedom to create your own knots to use any knot you want to but they have to be tied in a certain length and a certain combination is that correct that is correct that is very correct and that's what we'll go over here um right now okay. because and i as i mentioned kind of quickly i try to gloss over it but i have been denied on a few records and um, and one of those records, Tom, was my bite tippet, which is the piece of material that you can use wire, a heavier mono, heavier fluoro that goes in between your class mm -hmm. and your uh, fly. It stretched. And so it went about a 16th of an inch too long. And there is mm -hmm. a cap. It can only be 12 inches from the eye of the fly to the the top of the knot. And I had a very nice 24 pound tuna last May caught on six pound class tippet. I had broken about 11 liters prior to on this yellowfin tuna, finally land this beautiful 24 pound fish on six pound only to be denied because my uh, bite tippet had stretched about a 16th of an inch. Wow. And that was fluorocarbon that stretched like that? That was fluorocarbon. Wow. Yes. Because that's the, that's what, you know, the, the, there's another myth that fluorocarbon doesn't stretch. I mean, it certainly has a lot less stretch than monofilament, but you know, the, the, there is a, a lot of people will say fluorocarbon doesn't stretch. That's one reason why people will use fluorocarbon, but uh, it'll at least stretch a 16th of an inch, I guess, but a 16th of an inch in a 12 inch piece of, of fluorocarbon, that's, that's actually a pretty well, good amount of stretch. Uh, it's something that I've lost a lot of sleep about, Tom. <laughs> and here are a couple of ideas I came up with. One, I do wonder if my knot slipped. Yeah, right. If my knot didn't give just a little bit, if I didn't seed it enough, both on the top of that bite and on the bottom, therefore making it up. And that honestly is what I think must have happened. Yeah, that's interesting so, because, you know, that's what, you know, all the knot books will say that your knot will slip before it breaks every time. So mm -hmm. you, that could have slipped just a little bit, didn't break, but 
slipped enough to to cause you to lose that record. So now, do you tie eleven and a half inch bite tippets now, or do you? What you that, learn from that, that? Right, that's exactly what I do. I have shortened it. I'm not using the full capacity of that 12 inches. Um, I'm usually tying anywhere from, depends on my species and how their gill plates are, how sharp they are, how big a fish I'm looking for. Uh, um, you know, I've been, uh, as we talked about on a podcast recently, that big bass, as you can see, these bass are in front of me, but um, big bass record. And, you know, bass have a huge mouth and the, the mouth, that they can inhale a fly it's they can do it pretty quickly and, and it happens pretty often where they take that fly and they take it quick and it goes to the back of their throat right um and so for something like that i'm gonna want to use a full capacity so on something like a bass or something really toothy critter i'm probably going to make it around 11 and a half inches now if it's something like a trout you know 10 inches is fine i'm not too worried about trout's mouth um, if I use a bite tippet at all. And the reason a lot of people might question, why would I use a bite tippet with trout? Well, if I'm using two or four pounds, I might put a, like an eight pound bite tippet on it. And I think eight pound is around a four X. Yeah. Um, sorry, I don't speak the X language very well. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I think. Yeah, I, I think so. We talked to, I talked to another friend about this the other day. No, 8X is like 1.75 and, and 1.75 is basically like human hair. It is really, really, really They're small fine. and so easy to break. Um, so yeah, you need all the help you can get there. And, and who knows? I mean, maybe a trout, trout don't have really big teeth, but they do have teeth and who knows, maybe that's enough to go through 8X might be. That's right. That's right. And I think that that brings up another great point. You asked, what am I doing now about tying my leaders? Well, one of the other mistakes that I kicked myself for doing is I didn't tie in up enough for that trip. And for that particular day, I hadn't expected to blow through so many. Um, and so I had tied that quickly right there on the boat. Um, and I think that that's another thing. And so that's where this slide says prepping for records, be prepared. And I was not, we were being tossed and turned by the waves out there. And I was quickly tying something up. And I think in, in my haste, uh, made a mistake, yeah. obviously. And oh. that was a non-seated knot that ended up slipping and causing me a very, I think a very good world record. One I would have been very proud of. Sure. But that's, that's like the whole process of this. And, and the, probably the reason that you're saying that you're becoming so much of a better angler through the world records is that, you know, if you're doing this kind of recreationally and just kind of having fun and there's really not a lot riding on it, oh, you lost the fish at the boat or, or you catch that fish and you have no idea that you're not slipped or that, that you were a little bit long on the, on the bite tippet. And on this one, you're learning really hard lessons and then you're implementing those lessons immediately and making sure that you don't make those again. So that alone is going to make you a much better angler because you're paying attention to the details. And like some, a really good guide once told me about the details. He was like, you know, he won all these fishing tournaments. And I went up to him because I wanted to win a fishing tournament. I said, how do you, what are you doing? And he said, man, I pay attention to the details. And I said, yeah. well, what does that mean? He said, well, if I keep my hooks really sharp, that's 
And if I make sure that I change the line on my reels every night, that's 1%. And if I make sure that my knots are perfect every single time before I allow that fly to touch the water, that's 1%. And if I continue to do that through everything that I'm doing, those 1% add up to 15 or 20%. So when I show up to a tournament, I'm 20% ahead of everybody else there. And that's what makes you win the tournaments. That's what makes you get the world record. You pay attention to the details and you do that over and over and over again. And that is the recipe for success, or at least that was the recipe for, for our success in the tournaments. I'm sure I would assume that that's what you're going to say as well is the details. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you leave chance for chance and that's the weather or the fish there, are they eating what the right fly is. And so you leave that for chance, but the things that you can really control, you do. And so I, I think you're exactly right. I just wanted to say amen while you were saying that, <laughs> but it, it's, it's true. Um, you know, it's, it's being prepared and just controlling those things that you can control. Yeah. So as far as setting records and myths, is there anything else that, um, that you kind of came up against or, or have, have, uh, that's top of your mind. I mean, I know that I see this, that you have your, your tippet material that you're using here. And we had talked about that before about being able to send it into the IGFA. How, how do you do that every single time? Would you suggest that other people do that every time or how, how do you handle what material you're using? I really suggest everybody does it unless you're using something like I've been using, which is platypus, um, where at the top of that um, spool there, you'll see a little a little um, white rectangular box. And when you get your spool, it will say it will have someone's initials on it with a number saying what that spool in particular tested out at. And I love that. So it comes to me pre-tested. Therefore, I don't have to send it to the IGFA. But I have had two friends recently catch world records that were disqualified because their lines over-tested. And what I mean by over-tested is they submitted for 18 and then, or sorry, 16 pound class tippet and their fish broke off. I want to say at 22, 23. And it's not so much the manufacturer's fault. I mean, look at braid. If any of you guys are conventional anglers out there and use braid, you know that your braid will state 30 pounds, but it's really going to probably hold up to about 50 pounds. Well, same with a lot of these line manufacturers is that they're all they're stating is that it won't break less than the stated. Mm. They're not telling you that it won't break over. And that's, I think, a big um, misconception is that they think, you know, the common angler out there will go into the store and be like, Oh, this is going to break at 16. Cause it says 16 on it. And that's not the case. Hmm. Well, and, and really a lot of people don't necessarily care, you know, they they want 20 pound line or whatever. And, and, um, you know, they're not fishing in a tournament. They're not fishing for a record. They want to land the fish. They want it to cast. Well, they want a, an advantage, and they're getting one, especially with a braid, because it's so narrow and thin in diameter that you can cast it so much further. And whether it breaks it at exactly 12 or exactly 20, it's not, not, not really that important. But when you're doing something different, like a lot of the tournaments will say, um, you know, they're not going to test the line, but they're going to say the line that you use must be manufacturer stated test, not more than 
12 pound or 16 pound exactly. or 20 pound or whatever the, whatever the tournament is going for. So as long as it says, you know, 20 pound on the spool, then that line is legal to use in that particular tournament. Some anglers will test and, all the different lines and figure out which one's the strongest and use that because that they're within the rules. Why wouldn't you do that? And, um, but that doesn't hold true for world records. That's not, not how it works at all. That's not. And, you know, some of the tournaments have even gone that way. The men's tarpon tournaments down in the Keys, as well as the women's tarpon tournament, because certain people had access to line testers to um, figure out the strength, they were playing upon those, that, that knowledge. Um, so they've really kind of done away with that by providing each guide and angler team a, um, a spool of tippet for each each hmm. tournament. Yeah. So they're doing one brand, everyone's on the same playing field. And I, I think that that's actually a good thing if you're into tournaments and um, so forth. I think, I think that that was wise of those um, tournament, um, I guess, runners, the ones that run the tournaments to do that, to make it a play, a fair playing ground. Right. Um, so when you do submit a record and you, everything works, what's the, What's the process these days? How do, how long does that take? How long until you're notified that it's that it's legit or rejected? You know, it's it it really is dependent on how many applications they've received. Sometimes um, my records have taken up to about four or five months when they've gotten slammed. Right after the summer, as you can imagine, a lot of records are submitted. So that those usually take a little bit longer than the ones that are submitted in the winter. I think the quickest I've heard back is in about eight weeks to 10 weeks. And um, but it's really fun kind of to watch because as soon as they receive in the application, then your name goes up on the board as a pending. So other people can see if they're chasing that same record, that there is one pending for a greater, um, weight. And, um, and then once it gets approved, then it will say approved. So it, and it's, so it, when it's pending, do they say there's a pending record at 18 and a half pounds or, and then all your competitors would know how big a fish they would need to catch or do, do they keep That's the right. weight secret until it's actually no, legit? No, no. Cause they don't want to waste anybody's time either. Um, and so, yes, they, you, you want to know what that pending is. And sometimes, I mean, because, because I'm a record chaser, I'll even call in and say, Hey, is there anything that's come in recently of these four species I'm looking for that I might need to know about that haven't gone up on the website? <laughs> Cause I again, I don't want to waste my time and submit, um, you know, a record that is, is not going to be a record. Right. So they'll, they'll help you, right? Like oh, it's not this big mystery. They I mean, the guys at the IHFA, I would not have been able to do any of this without them. They have held my, my hand through the entire process from my first world record in December of 2012. I mean, from everything from not tying to testing my line and tippet to um, certifying my scales and talking to me about what scales always usually certify out best and register at the correct weights. And I mean, they are a wealth of information and that's what I hope I can do for other people too, is just be that resource. Yeah. Um, well, you, you, you are being it right now. And in fact, let's close this out by saying, you know, if, if someone 
was interested in a world record. Maybe they looked through the book or they got the app or they they saw a world record and they thought, man, I know where a fish is that's bigger than that. And all I'm, you're telling me all I got to do is catch that on 12-pound line and that's a, that's going to be a record. So if if someone's like that in that situation, they've never done this before, what would you say the steps are to, you know, moving down the road of setting a world record? I would say, first of all, I would, I would send in a couple of scales to the IGFA. They certify them for free. They'll turn them around within a week's time. I would also encourage you to find tippet or line class that you know is going to test out correctly. Personally, for me, I use this platypus out of Australia. I order it from Tackle Direct. They don't give me anything. I don't receive anything for free for promoting them. Um, I pay for it just like everybody else, but um, I would say go and get your leader material. And then I would start talking to resources like Tom and I and others about strong knots and what knots to use for tying different materials together, for tying different strengths and diameters of lines together, and um, really start working on your knots and building your leaders. And then there, go for it. Just go have fun. Okay. And if they catch one, then just do what you said. Just take the different pictures and the right measurements and uh, make sure that you have all that documented. Send it in like like you suggested and these rules are all written in the in the IGFA book right so That's they correct. have they have a resource that they can just follow follow along and then submit that record and then yeah I guess you just it's a waiting game after that right that, that's correct it's just a waiting game but the most important thing and I'll come conclude on this Tom is that the biggest myth too is they're like Meredith we think in you with you record fishing you've taken the fun out of fishing. You just, we don't understand it. How can you have fun doing this? And I'll tell you right now, I have a ball doing this and I love putting that challenge in front of me and putting a goal and then working hard to achieve that goal. Nothing makes me feel better. So, um, I think that's the biggest myth is that you can't have fun, whether it's tournament fishing or record fishing. And I'm, I'm going to have to say, I think to each his own, but I love doing it and I'm going to continue and do it until it's not fun for me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you've obviously done extremely well at it. Over 180 world records. I think if all the ones that are pending now, it'd be 189. Do you have a number that you would like to get to? I know, I know the 100 number was a real benchmark for you, but at this point, do you have something that you're, that you're shooting for? Are you just going to do it until it's not fun anymore? You know what? We'll see. I mean, I would like to have, more than any other female in the world, but there is uh, a young woman um, who is above me by about uh, 20 records. And so um, I told her in January, Roberta, I'm coming after your number. And she had kind of tapered off on her record pursuits. And when I told her that, guess what? She started amping back up again. And so she is back record chasing again. So I don't know if I'll ever catch up to her, but I would sure love to try. You woke the sleeping giant. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to <laughs> let them, let them lay. I should have just kept my mouth closed, but, uh, you know, again, I just have a lot of fun with this and you know what, if I, if I made it more fun for her too, by creating a little friendly competition, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. All right. Well, thanks so much for this tutorial on how to set a world record and all, all the myths and dispelling the myths. If people wanted to learn more about you, um, find out more about your records or attend one of your seminars or your hosted trips, how would they do that? 
that would be meredithmccord.com. It's my website. And you can kind of hear my story about how I got started doing this all as well as listen to Tom's podcast, um, is, um, as well. Yeah, so, we, got, uh, we did a full length podcast. This is, we're going to do some more how to Tuesdays because Meredith has a tremendous amount of knowledge that is learned through hard loss really. And and that's really the best type of knowledge. If you ask me, uh, that's why we have so many guides, so many people that have, have learned what they know through really failure. And that's the best way because, you know, somebody can tell you how to do it and, and that might work for you. But when you start trying it yourself, maybe you don't tie a knot as well as someone else does. And that knot just doesn't work for you. So you come up with a different way of doing it. And as you do those different ways, sooner or later, somebody out there comes up with a better way. And uh, so I always think that that the best knowledge is that which is learned through repeated failure and learning your lesson and then trying to do it better and better and better. And that's certainly what you've been able to do as well as so many of our other guests, but thanks so much for uh, being on the show today. And we will have you on again to talk about world records. And then if you're interested in learning her story, we did a full length podcast that you can, um, you can access at Tom podcast.com. All right. That's it for today. And we will, um, Talk to you guys again next week. If you have suggestions for the show, send them to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Love to hear them and track down the guests that you would like to see on the show. Meredith is one of those guests that someone sent me a message and said, you got to get her on the show. And they were exactly right. Full of information. Okay. So that's it for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv i'm will cooper host of hunt stands make your mark podcast if you haven't already download the free waypoint tv app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from hunt stand presents anywhere anytime and on any device